ranked among the top 20 countries with best uh, business environment in the world, according to the World Bank's Doing Business Report in 2005. Moreover, the pay-as-you-go social security system, which faced serious long-term financial shortfalls, was, par uh, was partially privatized. By January 2006, roughly 1.1 million Slovaks, or 50% of eligible workers, opted for personal uh, retirement accounts. Slovak macroeconomic performance improved as well. Cumulative foreign direct investment to Slovakia rose sixfold between 1998 and 2005. The list of foreign investors includes many blue chip companies, including Citibank, Ford, Motorola, US Steel, and Rupal. South Korean Hyundai and French Peugeot are building factories in Slovakia, and by 2008, it is expected that Slovakia will be the largest car producer in the world per capita. Economic growth accelerated from 1.5% in 1999 to 6.1% in 2005. It will grow at about, I believe, 7% this year. According to the Slovak Ministry of Labor, unemployment, which used to be one of the most pressing problems in Slovakia, has uh, fallen from 18% in 2000 to 11% in 2005, and real incomes per capita rose by 6% last year. When Slovakia became independent in 1993, its income per capita was half that of Czech Republic. Uh, by last year, uh, Czech incomes were only 33% higher than incomes in Slovakia. And so, Slovakia, a country that uh, Madeleine Albright once famously called black hole in the heart of Europe, became a country that uh, became a, uh, a symbol of reform uh, for many around the world and was praised accordingly by the likes of President Bush and Prime Minister Blair. Well, one of the men who was um, very uh, important to the reforms in Slovakia is with us here today. And he's, of course, the former Deputy Prime Minister of Slovakia and uh, the, foreign, uh, the former um, Minister of Economics, Mr. Ivan Miklos. Uh, Ivan Miklos was born in 1960 and studied uni at the University of Economics in Bratislava. Uh, he was assistant professor there uh, between 1983 and 1987. And uh, in 1990, he became an advisor uh, to the Deputy Prime Minister of the Slovak Republic. Uh, he rose through the ranks of the Slovak government to become, as I mentioned, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Economics uh, in 2002, where he oversaw many of the reforms that I just mentioned today. Following the defeat of uh, the current government in uh, the June 2006 elections, uh, he uh, returned to parliament, where he represented the Slovak Christian and Democratic Union. Uh, Please uh, help me welcome Minister Miklos. Thank you very much. Thank you for introduction. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming to this meeting. Only small correction what was Maria, was uh, what Marian Tupi said. I was uh, Minister of Finance, not Minister of Economy. That was also uh, that, that gave me possibility to prepare uh, tax reform also as, as finance minister. 
let me briefly continue in the introduction of, uh, of, of Slovakia, of my country, and then to speak mostly about uh, tax reform, and not only about results of tax reform and content of the tax reform, but also about, about political side, or mostly about political side of, the, of this reform and other reforms. Slovakia, as it was mentioned, is uh, one of the very dynamic countries for next year, we expect to have economic growth 7.3%. But eight years ago, as we came to the government, situation was very, very different from today's situation. Slovakia at that time was excluded from the integration. Slovak economy was on the edge of serious financial crisis. Banks have been state-owned but and, and uh, on the edge of collapse. The macroeconomic instability was very high. It was uh, no... FDI influx, foreign direct investment influx to the to the country. At that time, uh, it was the first first Zurinda's cabinet, Zurinda's government came into power in '98. The most important priority was to stabilize economy, to provide some general macroeconomic stabilization, to uh, save the banks, to restructure them and then privatize them, and catching up other Visegrad four countries, which are Poland. Czech Republic and Hungary in the integration process. I think it was done between 1998-2002 by the first Zurindas government, which was much broader as second one, which uh, served in 2002-2006 period. Uh, then uh, elections in 2002 created the biggest and the most important political precondition for doing deep structural reforms which we have provided in this second term between 2002 and 2006. It was after election was created four parties coalition, which was uh, relatively very homogeneous regarding economic program, regarding um, conviction about, uh, about necessity or need of doing deep structural reforms. They have been center-right. There have been differences in other areas, but in economic program, it, it was more or less consensus that we want and we need to uh, further improvement of the macroeconomic uh, stability, to further reduction of the fiscal deficit, to enter not only European Union, but also Eurozone, to improve business uh, environment, and to provide structural reforms. Another important uh, precondition for doing these reforms or important priority was uh, consensus or agreement on the increasing of economic freedom in the society, in the economy. Slovakia, during the last uh, 10 years, 8-10 years, was the number one country among EU25 countries regarding reduction of public expenditures uh, as shared to GDP and reduction of tax burden among all EU25 countries. Both, both of these uh, figures uh, 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 dropped, decreased by 10%. Uh, today's uh, uh, share of public expenditure to GDP is around 40%. It was more than 50 10 years ago. And today's tax burden, tax quota 2, is uh, around 30%. It was around 40% 10 years ago. The second most successful country in this regard, which is... Uh, uh, Lithuania uh, decreased the uh, tax burden by 5.5%. On this, you can see that it was really, really very important and very, very quick uh, development. 
If you are speaking about uh, structural reforms, there have been uh, tax reform, which, which I will speak in more details, a pension reform, which was mentioned by Marianne, uh, then uh, healthcare reform, which was maybe the most sensitive and the most difficult politically uh, reform, and then also public administration reform and public finance, public finance uh, reform. All the, and another important, very important uh, reform which, uh, which improved the business environment was labor market reform. So like, as a result of new labor code, which was passed in 2003, has now one of the most flexible labor market in Europe. Um, I will, I will speak more now in more details about, about uh, tax reform. Tax reform is the most well-known reform among uh, uh, these uh, uh, structural reforms which have been done. Uh, tax reform was uh, very, I think, comprehensive. And uh, uh, old tax system, previous tax system, was very similar as it is at present in the most of Western European countries, but also still the most of Central European countries. We have had before uh, very steep progressive taxation. We have had five uh, tax rates coming from 10% to 38% for personal income tax. Corporate tax was 25% before, but uh, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, it was even higher. It was 50% and 40% then 29 and then uh, 25%. But in 2003, in last year of the previous tax system, corporate tax rate was 25%. We have had two uh, levels of VAT. We have had 20% uh, and 14%. In both of these was approximately 50% of items of goods and services. Uh, new system uh, which we have now, which work, uh, work, uh, works uh, from uh, January 1st, 2004, is based on the flat tax, flat rate, as it was mentioned, 19% uh, for both personal income tax and corporate tax and also 19% of uh, value-added tax. We have cancelled four taxes. Tax on dividend was mentioned. We have cancelled also gift tax, inheritance tax, uh, and uh, real estate transfer, real estate tra transfer tax. Uh, as a result of this, the system, and it, uh, uh, it, uh, created possibility, and this is maybe the most important result of the, of the tax reform, is that the imposing flat tax uh, created possibility to cancel all exemptions, exceptions, deductions, and special rates for different types of incomes. And as a result of this, uh, of this we have now one of the most neutral, simple, non-distortive tax system in the, in the world. Very important for uh, uh, implementing reform and for to, to do it uh, uh, possible from political point of view was also uh, increasing ta tax-free income increasing. We have had, uh, as I have mentioned, the lowest level of the uh, lowest rate of personal income tax was 10% before, and now it is only one rate, 19%. And of course, that the reduction from 38 to 19% mean, means that high-income people 
have been uh, the, the their tax burden was decreased, but we have been thinking about how to reduce tax burden not only for high income people but also for low income people. And to do it, we have increased significantly tax-free income. Tax-free income was increased by 2.5 times from the January 1st, 2004. Before, it was around 30,000 crowns per year. Then, in, in 2004, it was 82,000 crowns per year, which means, in reality, that around 16% uh, of people are no paying any income tax, and then everybody is paying effective uh, tax burden is coming from 0 to 19%. Everybody is paying dif uh, from the 19% from the difference between his income minus this 82,000 crowns, which are uh, increasing, which are valorized by by inflation. This tax-free tax-free income. Um, as a result of uh, these, uh, these changes, uh, now we can say, and now we are in the third year of the, of the operation of the new system, we can say that it works very well and it works very, very effectively. Uh, tax incomes are growing uh, in all taxes. Uh, very important uh, was in the first year uh, that uh, it, was, it was income neutrality in the tax reform. As we have been managing the, as we have been preparing new tax system, another priority was the decreasing fiscal deficit uh, of the general of the general government, which means we had to do it fiscally fiscally neutral, and it was one of the one of the problem how to how to estimate the correct uh, rates and correct tax burden for. Not to have uh, not to have problems on the on the public budget. I think it was managed very well. We uh, asked also independent institutions for provide estimates, and then but true is that we have received very different estimates from different institutions. Then we took more conservative, not the most conservative estimates, but more conservative as as average was, and then uh, uh, reality development was was approximately as. We have expected even more more positive, but from the fiscal point of view, it was also successfully passed, successfully done. Uh, let me now speak more in more details about political economy of uh, this reform, because I think this is maybe the most difficult part of, of reform. How to do it, how it was done in Slovakia, what have been political preconditions for passing this uh, kind of reform. Firstly, I uh, have to say that uh, flat tax, uh, Marian Tupi mentioned that the program declaration of the government in 2002 was very ambitious. That's true, and it was also fulfilled almost every important reform which we, we declared that we will, that we will do, we, we have done. But flat tax was not implemented in the program declaration. It was not declared that we will impose flat tax. But what was in the reason for this was uh, that we haven't been prepared and we didn't know at that time if it will be possible or not. Not only from the political point of view, but also from the technical point of view. It was no 
deep enough and comprehensive enough study and analysis which, uh, which was allowing us to do it. Uh, what we have uh, done, we put, we put to the program declaration principles which we want, uh, on, on which we want to uh, change the tax system. We wrote there in the program that we want to have much more simple tax system, much more neutral, that we want reduce tax burden, that we want uh, reduce direct taxes and partially compensate this by increasing of indirect taxes that we want a reduced number of exceptions, exemptions, deductions, to have much more simple and stable tax system. Then after coming to the government, uh, as I, I became finance minister, I have created working group, also from the staff of ministry, but also from the external experts. And we have started search, what is the best solution for fulfilling these criteria of the changing of the of the changes in the in the tax system and then we came to very important conclusion because we have been preparing alternatives it was one alternative which was searching was the flat tax and another one was uh, still progressive taxation but changes in the in the system and we came to the very important conclusion and that conclusion was that only flat tax tax is uh, offering real possibility to really uh, simplify the system, to really uh, reject all exceptions, exemptions, deductions, and special rates. Uh, cost, political costs for this was that, uh, that flat tax, it was necessary to compensate this by higher increasing of indirect taxes, as in the case of uh, no imposing a flat rate. And this was the politically the most risky part of the business of the tax reform was VAT, uh, increasing VAT uh, unification. Important point was also that we have put in the program declaration that we will unify VAT rate, that we will have only one VAT. Uh, as then as we have we came to conclusion that the flat tax is the best solution, and it was also uh, also estimates, quantitative estimates have been done, have been prepared, which I have mentioned. Uh, we have prepared this, and I started to discuss and to try to convince uh, partners, coalition partners, for doing doing this. First problem was that they have said. Yes, we agree with the with the implementing flat tax, with the reduction of the tax rates on the income tax and and and, and corporate tax, but we don't agree with the uh, with the same rate and the unification of the VAT rate because it is politically risky because it will means increasing of prices and it will be politically it will be rejected by the by the voters. Then. Uh, Important was I have said yes, but unification VAT rate unification we have in our program declaration. It was very important that it was written there. Many of them, majority of the politicians, uh, didn't know this, didn't recognize that it is written then as it was as it was passed. But then it was very important to convince them that we have to do it. It is our public public commitment to to, to do it, and it was passed in the program declaration.
Another problem in the trying to gain consensus inside of coalition, I'm speaking about, about coalition consensus of the four, con four parties, was that they said, because our original proposal was 20-20-20, 20% for, for flat tax and 20% for VAT unified rate. They have said uh, that, okay, okay, then we agree, but it is too high. We need to uh, go further and uh, to have 19%, which uh, finally I have agreed, but we have changed estimate for the fiscal deficit because before my original proposal was 20-20-20 and 3.4% fiscal deficit for 2004 year, first one year of the of the new uh, tax uh, system. Then we have agreed on 1919 and 3.9% of fiscal deficit for year 2004, which was good and I have uh, no problem with this, of course, because 19 is much better, not only because it is less than 20, but also psychologically it, it looks much better, 19 as, as 20, and difference is psychologically more. Than, than 1%. Then very important, uh, of course, was the, and the most important, was not only passing this to have consensus inside of coalition and passing the government proposal, but then the approving it in the parliament. In the parliament, another important step which we took was that, uh, because it was popular among uh, our MPs, this part of tax reform which was popular, which was decreasing taxes. But as I have said, VAT and excises, because we have increased excises also, but we had to do it also because minimum level of excises in the European Union. And in 2004, we have entered European Union. Then from this point of view, we took strategy that I put first on the... Uh, first in the in the parliament this unpopular part of tax reform firstly i put we have approved in government and i put to the to the parliament vat law unifying vat on 19% and uh, we have declared that only if this legislation will be passed only then we will we will put also a reduction of uh, direct taxes and and cancelling these four taxes which i have mentioned and imposing a flat rate. It was done successfully in, uh, uh, in I think, in June uh, 2004. Then another problem was that President uh, returned uh, this uh, laws to the to the only one VAT law to the to the Parliament, and we had to pass this again in, in September. And it was more difficult that because we need, uh, if president is returning legislation to the parliament, then we need absolute majority from all seats in the parliament, not only from the present uh, members of the parliament. But again, it was fortunately passed, and from January 1st, 2004, new tax system is working. Another important uh, point in this regard is that uh, how... What is the perception of uh, the of this tax reform at present, and what was the perception during these uh, first years? The general atmosphere, not only for this reform but for all 
reform policy of the government was not very positive at that time. Uh, because media, especially part of media, trade unions, opposition have been creating public fears, have been simply increasing uh, the, the fears of people. People have been afraid because uh, media have been have been arguing and opposition and trade union that it will be publishing the country. It will be good only for rich people, but it will be not good for the for the poor people. It was connected also with the very negative campaign of the EU entering consequences. Fits uh, uh, a leader of of uh, opposition at that time. Uh, was arguing that after entering Euro, and we have entered Euro in the May 1st, 2004, we will have the European prices and Slovakian salaries, that prices, and especially prices of food, will be increased because membership in the in, in European Union. And uh, this was the most difficult, politically most difficult period, was the end of 2003 and first half of 2004. Because majority of those reforms which I have mentioned, the structural reforms which we have implemented, majority of them, including tax reform, have been prepared during 2003, passed, legislation was passed in 2003, and they start, they, they start operate in January 1st, 2004. At uh, that time, uh, we, have, we had to do also the last stage of price deregulation for better illustration, it was significant uh, price increasing. For instance, uh, gas price for household have been increased by 35% from January 1st, 2004. In the same date, new tax system start, started operate, which uh, was very negatively uh, uh, perception of people was was negative because the, it was more visible. Have been negative was negative part of tax reform was more visible because it was increasing of VAT, increasing of excises, which have been reflected to the prices immediately from the January first. Reduction of the personal income tax was not such visible. It was visible later on on the on the uh, salary uh, of the of the people. Uh, at in in this situation, in this atmosphere, it was uh, by organized uh, referendum. It was initiated referendum organized by opposition and trade unions, and the main goal of this referendum was firing government. The question was, which is strange, but it was this referendum. The question was, do you agree with the shortening election term for this government? And then. Uh, a referendum uh, at, at that time by the polls, more than s around 70% of people have been dissatisfied with the government, with the government policy, um, with their life and their perspectives. And at that situation, the referendum was organized in uh, April, in mid April. And despite of this situation in the country, despite of this atmosphere, only 32% of people came to this referendum. We have 50% uh, threshold, which means the referendum was, was not valid. From 32% uh, people who came, around 90% voted yes, we agree, and around 10% voted not, we don't agree. Which means uh, all, only about half of 
even dissatisfied people used the possibility to shortening uh, election term for government to firing government. This is very important from the point of view of political economy, political dimension of reform. Another important point was that then in June 2004, there was uh, EU elections in all EU 25 then countries after enlargement. And there have been only four European countries in which government parties won in these EU elections. It was Finland, Luxembourg, uh, Spain, and Slovakia. But through also this, that in Slovakia, only 17%, 17% of people came to these European elections. But through also this, that, that government supporters came more than opposition supporters. Which means the main conclusion, at least for me, is that uh, it is not uh, that that people are not such stupid that uh, that even many of people, some of people, didn't come to the referendum and to the European uh, elections because they didn't trust anybody. But some of people didn't come because they have been dissatisfied with the situation, with the government policy, with the reforms. But they felt, at least somewhere inside, that it is no other easy way, and it has sense that it, it will bring, uh, bring, uh, bring results. Uh, and this is, I think, a very, very important, important point. Then, also because reform worked and, uh, and, and uh, brought uh, positive results, also perception of the people regarding reforms have been slowly and slightly uh, changed, especially uh, tax reform and pension reform became more accepted and more popular also by by broad population. Another important point is uh, what was the result, what was the effect of the tax reform for different income groups. Figures which I will mention are from the first year, 2004. 2005 and 2006 are even better than 2004. It was no significant income group which was in 2004 worse as in 2003 because tax reform. I'm speaking about year, year-based figures, of course, because it was different situation in the first quarter and first, first half where the costs, negative effects of the, of the VAT and excises have been bigger than positive effects of the income tax reduction. But because economy was growing, because nominal and real wages have been growing, on the year base it was partially compensated and then fully compensated during on the, on the one year, whole year uh, basis. Uh, for the, the worst situation was for the middle income people. And that's uh, for the people who, whose income have been around, uh, around the average salary, and it was, but also for those people, it was in first year of the tax reform positive growth around 0.81% in real terms. For those, for instance, who have been in, on, on the minimum wage, they have 3.1% real income growth in the first year of, of reform. And for, of course, th those who have had high incomes, it was even higher growth. For two, two uh, 
people, for instance, with uh, minimum wage and two children, it was even it was it was real growth around eight percent because we have had some changes also in the child child allowances. Uh, and of course, in the in the second and third year, two thousand five, two thousand six, also and and also because economy was growing and is growing very quickly, the, these these effects are even higher and more more visible. Uh, let me conclude this uh, contribution by uh, saying something about the most actual situation, because we are just now a few months uh, after elections, and the uh, slug reality is that we have now a new government which uh, is led by party and leader which was very, very anti-reform, which was in pre-election campaign promising to cancelling all reforms. And tax reform was one, one of the most important targets of his policy. Uh, reality is that almost, almost no reform was cancelled. Partially one reform, healthcare reform, was partially cancelled and significantly deformed. But for instance, in tax reform, we have uh, uh, there, there have been passed. They are in the process of passing only two very cosmetic changes, which are not changing the the architecture of the of the tax system, which uh, operates in Slovakia. This is uh, this, it has uh, more reasons. One of reason is that uh, economy and, and tax system. Uh, works very well, and it is it is accepted by all experts, but also also more and more people. Another reason is that uh, some promised changes uh, could have negative fiscal consequences, and another important priority and commitment of the government is entering eurozone, and it creates very very strict limits for doing changes also in the tax system because of negative fiscal consequences. Um, and last point, what I would like to mention is a broader point, not only about tax reform, but I think very important point. Uh, we have done a lot of reforms, and uh, we have lost power in the last elections. Many of people, also analysts and, and, and journalists, uh, uh, come to conclusion, because these two facts, that we have done a lot of reforms and we have lost power, many of observers uh, uh, then uh, are making conclusion that it is evidence that it is too risky to, to do reforms, and Slovakia is example that which, which, um, which is not uh, very supportive for, reform, for reformers, for instance, in the Western European countries. But I have to say that this is not true. We are not. We have lost power not because we have done reforms. Uh, we have lost power because we haven't been possible agreed on the different alternative which was possible. Three former uh, coalition parties and the reform parties are member of the European People's Party, and the fourth one, Mečiar's party, applied for membership. And Mečiar was never against reforms as, as Fico was, the, the current, current uh, prime minister. And Mečiar was ready to go and to create coalition for members' coalition with three former, former uh, government reform parties. Reason why it didn't happen 
was that one, the smallest uh, former coalition party, Christian Democratic Movement, rejected this possibility. And another evidence that it is uh, not true that uh, we have lost because reforms is that the most reformed party, and it is undoubtedly the most reformed party, is uh, Slovak Democratic and Christian Union, my party, uh, Zurinda's party. Uh, we have gained in the election 2006, after doing all these reforms, we have gained better election results as in 2002. Which means I, we have had in 2006 now, uh, in, in latest uh, elections, 18.4%, and in 2002, 15.4%. Uh, uh, even I think that, but it is only my uh, hypothesis, hypothesis, that if we were not doing these reforms, I think our result was worse in 2006 as, as it was. Which means... Uh, I don't think that uh, doing reforms means necessarily that politicians have to lose power and, and fail. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I wonder uh, to what extent uh, the Estonian experience and the Baltic experience, as well as the introduction of flat tax in Russia, had an impact on, uh, on Slovak reforms, but maybe that's something that we can discuss uh, in the discussion. I would like to uh, now turn the podium over to my colleague, uh, Chris Edwards, who's the Director of Tax Policy Studies here at the Cato Institute. Uh, Chris is a top expert on federal and state and local tax and budget issues. Before joining uh, Cato in 2001, um, uh, Chris was Senior Economist uh, on the Congressional Joint Economic Committee uh, examining tax, social security, and entrepreneurship issues. From 1994 uh, to 1998, he was a consultant and manager with the PricewaterhouseCoopers, examining fiscal issues before, uh, before those were considered by the Congress. Uh, between 1992 and 1994, he was an economist with the Tax Foundation. His articles have appeared in Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, the Washington Times, Investors Business Daily, etc. He holds an MA in economics from George Mason University in Virginia. Chris, welcome. <clears throat> thanks a lot, uh, Marion, and thanks a lot for uh, visiting the Cato Institute, uh, Ivan. It's, uh, it's great to hear uh, uh, right from uh, the reformer's mouth uh, how all the reforms are working in uh, Eastern and Central Europe. We, we have lots of uh, critics in this country and at the IMF and elsewhere who uh, – who uh, sort of uh, thumb their noses at uh, flat taxes and uh, and almost uh, sometimes you think that they're almost uh, hoping that the flat taxes in Eastern Europe fail, but uh, I don't think that's the case. So uh, it, it's great having you here, uh, Ivan. I want to be uh, really brief, uh, maybe about ten minutes to talk about uh, three different uh, items. First, the, the global trend towards uh, lower tax rates, income tax rates around the world. Uh, secondly, um, some flat tax reforms in other countries other than Slovakia. And third, what are the prospects for reform in the United States? Well, top personal and corporate income tax rates have been falling now across the globe for two decades. Uh, in 1980, the top personal income tax rate in the OECD countries was 67%. It's now 44%. A decade ago, the, top, uh, the average top corporate tax rate in the OECD was 38%. It's now down to about 29%. Uh, and these rate cuts are continuing even as uh, we are here 
today. Uh, these rate reductions have been driven not just by far-seeing uh, policymakers like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, but they're really part of a long historical process dating to the 70s that have been driven by fundamental economic factors. In the 1970s and 80s, a number of countries, Britain and uh, others in Western Europe, moved to take off their capital controls on, on their currencies and deregulated their financial markets. What that did is it liberated billions and now trillions of dollars inve- of investment flows that started moving over international borders. Pretty quickly, countries figured out that with all this money moving around, they had to make their tax systems more competitive. Uh, and the other, there's sort of been a change in mindset, too. If you go back a few decades, many countries like Canada, India, uh, Sweden used to shun inflows of foreign investment for nationalistic reasons. Now there's been a 180-degree reversal on that, and now most countries go out of their way pr- to try to proactively create a good investment climate. So capital is much more mobile today than uh, even a decade ago. Uh, in the early 90s, there was about $200 billion a year of uh, foreign, direct, foreign direct investment flows that uh, flowed across international borders. Today, that's quintupled to about a trillion dollars a year flowing over international borders looking for good investment returns. The structure of the economy has also changed. It used to be that multinational corporations just wanted to locate in foreign countries. Mainly, they wanted to go to where mineral, mineral deposits were located, the Middle East uh, for oil, Latin America for metals, and that sort of thing. But the whole nature of uh, corporate foreign investment has changed, and industry is a, a heck of a lot uh, more footloose than it used to be. Most of what multinational corporations do today is they, is they uh, manufacture uh, goods around the world and they trade in services. Those industries can be located anywhere. Um, and and uh, that new uh, footloose uh, orientation of industry has been combined with a revolution in container shipping that has reduced transportation costs. And, of course, communications costs have plummeted with the Internet and uh, other innovations. The rule of law and security of property and contract have spread around the world as well. And what all this has done is all these non-tax factors have been equalized across the world. So corporations and investors have much, much more choice as to where to invest, where to build factories than they did just a few decades ago. Some folks uh, think that these international investment flows are only driven by different uh, wage rates around the world. Uh, There's constant uh, concern and complaint about low wage rates in places like China and India, but that's not true. Uh, Corporate taxes in particular are a big driver of uh, investment flows. The chairman of Intel Corporation gave very interesting testimony to the President's Tax Commission last year. Uh, They did calculations, and they looked at uh, setting up a sample um, chip fabrication plant in China versus the United States, and they looked at the cost differences between the two countries. The biggest difference in cost for them was not different uh, wage rates in the United States and China. It was taxes. China had substantially lower taxes for their investment in China than the United States. And that makes sense when you think about it. Companies like Intel are very capital-intensive. Wage rates don't make that much of a difference. It's, it's uh, issues like uh, of, um, human skills, transportation networks, and tax rates that make the difference for those sorts of companies. So one of the recent manifestations of these uh, falling tax rates around the world have been uh, the enactment of flat taxes in nine Eastern and Central European countries just in recent years. 
Now, the idea of a flat tax originated in the United States with two American scholars, Robert Hall and Alvin Rabushka, back in the early 80s. Their flat tax was a very uh, simple consumption-based tax that had a very particular design for individual and corporate, uh, corporate uh, tax systems. Now, a lot of countries in recent years have been adopting what have been called flat taxes, such as Slovakia. And the critics have said, well, you know, these aren't true flat taxes. The Slovakia flat tax, the Russian flat tax, these aren't real flat taxes. Um, they're not uh, pure flat taxes like the Hall-Rabushka system. And that's true. Uh, but the, but it, 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 uh, misses the, it uh, mistakes the forest for the, for the trees. What Slovakia and Estonia and other countries have done have been very much a big move toward the Hall-Rabushka flat tax in at least three different ways. Um, these flat taxes in Eastern Europe have low uh, flat tax rates. They have ended many loopholes and special deals for different industries. And they have generally been a very pro-saving and pro-investment orientation. So the concept of a flat tax really encapsulates those three different ideas. The, uh, one of the handouts uh, that uh, was on the, the table outside looked at the flat taxes in uh, the nine countries in Eastern uh, Europe and uh, Central Europe that have adopted them. The average personal income tax rate in the nine flat tax countries is 19%, and the average corporate rate is also 19%. Um, all these countries have uh, ended lots of loopholes. Some, uh, like Slovakia, have done a very good job in creating a very clean tax base. Uh, Russia has a little bit of a messier uh, tax base. They've still got some, uh, retained some sort of very special deductions and credits. But still, the, the Russian flat tax is a huge leap forward over the old income tax system on both the personal side and the, uh, the, the corporate side. There's a very good piece recently by the, uh, the Russian Deputy Minister of Finance and Tax Notes magazine that really convinced me that what they've done in Russia is revolutionary on the personal side and, and the corporate side. On savings, traditional income taxes, like the uh, U.S. income tax, is very anti-savings and anti-investment. Uh, but many of the new flat taxes have, have done uh, great things in a pro-savings and pro-investment uh, direction. Slovakia has a 19% corporate tax, but dividends are completely exempt at the individual level. And that means that the total tax on dividends is simply the corporate 19% rate, and it's zero at the individual level. Now, that compares to the United States, where dividends face a 35% corporate tax, they're paid out to individuals, and they face another 15% tax. Similarly, in Latvia, the, the, uh, the corporate flat tax is 15%. Dividends are exempt from tax at the individual level. Uh, so Latvia has a 15% tax on dividends, again, compared to the U.S. combined rate of about 45%. Estonia uh, sort of uh, uh, took the uh, tax relief on dividends the opposite way. They abolished their corporate income tax. Corporate, um, corporate profits are only taxed in Estonia when they're paid out to individuals, and they're, they're taxed at 23% at the individual level. So the United States can learn a lot from the flat tax countries of Eastern and Central Europe, not just in the low flat rates, but in the many pro-savings and pro-investment features of these tax systems. Now, will the flat tax revolution continue? And uh, some folks uh, are arguing that, no, these, these flat taxes will eventually descend into graduated and complicated tax systems like the United States has. The, uh, the IMF came out with a recent working paper where they sort of cynically said, 
looking forward, the question the question is not so much whether country wh- whether more countries will adopt a flat tax as whether those that have flat taxes will move away from them. Um, now, the IMF paper, as I said, it's, I think is really uh, as cynical. They don't give enough credit to the countries that have adopted flat taxes, and I think they're wrong. There is, uh, for fundamental economic reasons, I really believe the flat tax revolution will continue. Uh, tax cuts are going on right now as we speak. Estonia and Lithuania are phasing in further cuts to their flat tax rates. Uh, Egypt just radically cut their corporate tax rate from 40 to 20 percent. A New World Bank study that came out uh, just the other day uh, showed that 33 countries around the world have cut their corporate tax rates in just the last two years. Uh, so, in my view, is that the flat tax revolution will continue. These global flows of investment will keep uh, growing and intensifying, and that'll put even greater pressure on countries like the United States that haven't reformed their tax system. So, what are the prospects for reform in the United States? Well, there's sort of good news, bad news. Uh, the bad news is, is that U.S. policymakers uh, still seem to have their heads in the sand and, and only seem to dimly understand the changes that are going, around, uh, going on in the global economy with regard to tax competition. And Democrats, uh, the new Democrats that control Congress and the administration, last week were talking about working together on a new competitiveness agenda, uh, but they're really only talking about more subsidies for science and other things, and they haven't talked about cuts to the corporate tax rate. President Bush's tax commission came out with a good report in 2005, but the, the administration, unfortunately, has let the, uh, that, that uh, study and tax reform sit on a, a shelf collecting dust. Uh, U.S. Pol- politicians talk a lot about corporate tax avoidance, but they don't take the obvious step of cutting the corporate tax rate and, like Russia, seeing a sharp drop in corporate tax avoidance. The good news is that now would be a great time to do tax reform. The economy is booming. Uh, revenues are flowing into the federal government, providing plenty of room for some serious tax reform. And global tax competition will continue to increase. It seems to me eventually uh, members of Congress of both parties will get around to understanding that those businesses in their districts back home are, are facing fierce tax competition from, from foreign competitors. Um, the U.S. auto industry is hurting, of course, um, partly because of uh, high tax rates. And, uh, you know, my, my proposal would be to send them off to Slovakia, where the automobile industry is booming because of the new flat tax rate, so that uh, members can, can take a first look at uh, how flat tax reforms work in, uh, work in the real world. But uh, so now we've got uh, Democrats taking over Congress in in uh, in the new year. Uh, the Republicans had 12 years in power and didn't do much with tax reform. So let's give the Democrats a, a chance here and see where they go. Uh, I got to say though that uh, we, we aren't starting off uh, in a promising way. Nancy Pelosi has already come out promising new tax deductions and credits for things like uh, energy and education and other uh, areas they want to give tax subsidies. Uh, some Democrats are talking about major tax reform. Senator Wyden from Oregon has a new uh, tax reform proposal, and he really is trying to get some bipartisan support for it. Uh, but uh, serious tax reform is not impossible uh, in the coming years, but I must say it's going to be some pretty heavy lifting in the next uh, few years. And with that, I'll, I'll close up, and I think we're going to try to do some uh, Q&A. That's right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, very much. Um, do you want to take a minute or two, or uh, shall we just go straight? Okay. Uh, any questions from the audience? Yes, the gentleman right there. Uh, switch it on. Uh, I don't think it's on. Is it on? I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Miklos, um, 
the extent to which the costs of tax collection have declined since the reforms uh, took effect? Uh, I don't have figures, uh, but uh, yes, of course, that if a system is uh, more simple, it creates possibility for savings in the tax administration. This is something what uh, didn't happen, it is necessary to say, during the last four years. It was another our goal to uh, to reform also, also tax administration. We have prepared uh, legislation, new new law, but then it was not passed in the parliament because uh, not only opposition, but even our partners, we have been only a party which was supporting this. Also, our partners rejected this, simply saying because they have their appointees in the in the regions, in the position of the directors of these uh, tax offices, and our proposal was very radical. We wanted to cancel majority of this, uh, this district uh, directorates and to save also people and also to reduce the number of, of people and number of uh, uh, administration in the, in the tax office. And then another problem in the why it was uh, only partially created space for, for savings and for reduction of administration was that it was also the opposite pro process, process of entering European Union, which is connected with some new, uh, new, new needs in the, in the administrative capacities, uh, which means uh, without doing these reforms, uh, this tax reform, it was even a necessity to increase number of uh, people in the, in the tax administration. But it was not increased because we have we have used these uh, saved capacities for new uh, needs, for new for new competencies, which are connected with the with the new membership in the European Union. So the EU was really a friend of big government. But mm. I, I don't expect you to agree or disagree with that. Okay, over there. Matt Bennett, Cato. Um, we've taught, heard a lot about correlation, but I wanted to ask about causation. Um, where, what's the evidence that Slovakia would not have enjoyed the kind of economic growth that it has if not for uh, the tax reform? Yeah. There is, of course, uh, uh, no direct evidence, and you will have no direct evidence. What is the composition of the factors which uh, affected uh, economic economic growth. But there are some uh, also direct evidences uh, or figures which are, I think, uh, supportive to, to say that high and especially sustainable economic growth is because also because uh, tax reform, not only tax reform. I've mentioned that tax reform was one of the of the complex package of structural reforms and pouring of business environment. Firstly, uh, it is clear that if uh, you are reducing direct taxes, then it is stimulating activity, investment, working. Uh, second, if you are doing this kind of reform, it is reducing tax evasion. Firstly, because it was lower motivation to do it. If tax rate is 40%, you have much bigger motivation for tax evasion as it, it, 
if it is uh, 19%. But not only because lower motivation, also because lower possibility how to do it. And this, this was very important, that uh, simplicity and neutrality of the tax system, rejecting of all, all exemptions, exceptions, cancelling of, of, of all of this, reduced significantly possibility how to do tax evasion. Because tax evasion is much easier if system is complicated, if there are a lot of exemptions, different rates, and so on and so on. Which means at least this, and there are also other positive effects. For instance, uh, in Slovakian case especially, tax reform uh, has had effect also as incentive for attracting investors and investment. It was also because Slovakian tax reform became very well known in abroad, especially in Germany, France, and other countries. It was also thanks to criticism, which uh, which was uh, uh, done by by Chancellor, former German Chancellor, former uh, Swedish Prime Minister, and former France uh, French uh, uh, Finance Minister. They have criticized the Slovakian tax reform. And the media, of course, German media covered this criticism, and then it was debate. And thanks to this, almost every investor uh, in Germany, for instance, now knows about Slovakian tax system. And of course, it was attracted then the, them for, for invest in Slovakia and so on and so on. And it is possible to continue in this direction, which means I, I don't have exact figures what part of this growth was because tax reform, but it is, I think, clear that it was also thanks to, to tax reform. Be- before I take the next question, would you mind telling us um, very briefly about, uh, I mean, have you, have you had a look at Estonia, the Baltics, and Russia before you took the step toward flat, flat tax? Yes. Uh, to the, the most important... Uh, Examples uh, have been Ireland and uh, Estonia, but uh, we didn't took mechanically what they what they done uh, because, for instance, one important difference between Russian and Romanian taxes ta- flat uh, tax on one side and Slovakian on the other side is that, for instance, in Romania they have uh, imposed the flat the same flat uh, rate for the personal income and uh, corporate tax, 16%. But they remained uh, all these uh, different rates for some some minor uh, types of income, some different types of income, which means they didn't use enough possibility to use flat tax for really simplify and neutralize the the tax system. And in this in this regard, I think at least until now, the Slovakian tax system is is the most simple and, and neutral. Okay, let's have a question. Here in front. Actually, let's take both. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This question is for Mr. Mikos. Um, uh, the proponents of tax reform in this country um, sometimes oppose a flat tax because it retains an income tax, and they're afraid that we're going to, if we retain an income tax, we're going to slip back into the kind of tax system that we have now. And indeed, we had a tax reform here back in. 1986, where we reduced it to two rates and reduced a lot of deductions, and look where we are now. In your country, has there been any pressure? I know that it's this reform has been pretty recent, but has there been any pressure or any legislation, any talk about uh, bringing back some of the deductions, bringing back new deductions, or bringing back uh, different rates to uh, to where it was before? Okay, and and the lady, and, and we'll go, to the mm-hmm. go ahead. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jean Montgomery, I, I'm just curious about the nature of the governmental apparatus that collects the taxes and how well you know what income is out there to be taxed. Uh, for instance, in this country, you know, we have uh, corporations required to submit um, quarterly statements and so forth. I'm just curious how how well embedded in the uh, in the institutional structure of your country is the information flow about what income mm -hmm. is. Okay. Thank you. What was the second question? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's true that in every country uh, it is not uh, after doing uh, good reforms, it is a risk that it will be erosion of reform. Of course. This is this is permanent, never-ending pressure to change, to, to gain exemptions, some deductions, some special treatment, and so on. Of course. And it is the uh, not only theoretical risk, it was, as I have mentioned, the current government, strongest current government party was openly against tax reform, and they have explicitly promised that they will cancel completely cancel the tax reform. Now, reality, I have said, is much, much better. There are only two changes, small changes. But one of these changes, for instance, is that they are, as I have mentioned, one part of tax reform was unifying value-added tax. It was no exception. No, everything was in 19%. They have promised to put 50% of items to the lower. Now, because fiscally it is impossible, but they, they, they did first step medical drugs they put on the lower level, which means it could be, of course, and it will be a dangerous precedence because, of course, it will be pressure now of, of the producers of food, of the newspaper, uh, uh, books, uh, books uh, editors, and so on, to, to, have, to have the lower lowered level. Uh, but this, it is everywhere, and the, despite of, of if, if there is political change or not, this pressure is. And th that's the reason why it is important to fight against and to explain that uh, it, it will be, it is a risk of erosion of the system. And estimates, it was especially difficult. One of the most difficult part of, of uh, preparing and implementing this reform was really to have this estimate of, of fiscal consequences of the different alternatives of rates and um, uh, especially uh, the the even more complicated situation was in Slovakia because it was the first year of European Union membership it is also connected with the uncertainty and new expenditures and and the revenues new system of VAT for instance with the EU membership is connected new system of registration and paying value-added tax and it was, we knew it, that also other countries, as they have entered, as Austria and other countries, they have had problem with this. Because new system means that it was some, some th there have been some deficits, new deficits connected with this membership in the new economic, economic uh, area. That means, yes, it was, it was difficult. Only way how to diminish this uncertainty is to, to, to have more estimates and do and then to take and this is what we have done we have taken the more conservative not the most but more conservative estimate because then you have chance if it will be better then it is good of course you have more space and if, if it will be worse it will be not much worse if you are taking the conservative estimates let's take uh, these two 
Milan Jacek, after you have done all these changes, why would you want to join the Eurozone? Okay, good and poignant. <laughs> Second question. And um, one of the major initiatives I know going on in EU right now is to increase the level of innovation. And uh, one of the subsets of that is to increase research and development. And one of the major fiscal policy uh, measures that, or initiatives that governments can use is the R&D, the Research and Development Tax Credit. I wanted to know if under a flat tax or in particular under the Slovakian um, regime, that tax credit is still retained. And if not, has that pushed pressure more towards direct government grants to subsidize the level of research and development, which free market people would dislike even more than the tax credit because as the government picking winners and losers. Or does the flat tax just obviate the need for either credits and grants because it, it does in and itself promote innovation? Thank you. Very good question. Uh, I will start with this research and development. We don't have tax incentives in, for, for research and development. And generally, it is very important principle, which we have said. It doesn't mean that uh, it is not necessary for the support of the for to have science policy, research policy, to support science and research, but not through the distortion of the tax system. That's the point. We have said we will not distort tax system by, by doing industrial policy, research policy, and other type of policies, which doesn't mean that there is no space or need for these kind of policies, but not in the income side of state budget, but on the expenditure side. If state want to support publishing of books, not by reduced, then, then yes, okay, but not by, by reduced VAT, but by contributions, expenditures, and so on. So on. That's the, that's the point. And research and development is crucially important. That's the reason why we have, and not only, knowledge economy, everything connected with the knowledge economy, informatization, e-government, and so on and so on. And uh, that's the reason why we have passed so, a program called Minerva one and a half year ago. And it was another our priority, which means sustaining reforms and further improving of business environment and developing knowledge economy is only way for for long-term competitiveness. Because the problem which Slovakia will have is that from the short-term perspective, we have now 7% growth, and it will be 7% next two, three years, despite of, of policy of the government. But because this competitiveness is based on the on the on the comparative advantages of mass industrial production and these comparative advantages will be decreased also because economy will grow salaries will grow labor costs will grow competitors are here china india but also ukraine bulgaria romania if we will not develop sufficiently knowledge economy then it is threat for the long term competitiveness and that's the problem of of of, of this government current government policy Eurozone. I know that there are different and that this is a very controversial topic, but I am strong supporter of the membership in Eurozone and for the, for the entering uh, uh, Euro. The reason is, and of course, there is uh, one significant risk, but I think only one significant uh, risk, and this is the risk of the sustainability of the whole project. But for country as Slovakia, for small and open economy, it is important to be there as soon as possible after fulfilling criteria on sustainable basis. That's important. Mainly because two reasons. First one, 
and uh, again, for such small and open economy. Uh, firstly, because it will reduce transaction costs significantly. At present, 100, uh, uh, foreign trade turnover of Slovakia is 170% of GDP. 90% of Slovakian export is going to the European Union, and 60% to Eurozone. Only transaction costs, I mean, I mean fees for conversion of the, of, the, of the currencies in export and import. There are billions of crowns. And even more important is the, is the uh, reduction of volatility and unpredictability of the currency rate. Slovak crown is small, of course, currency of the small economy, and the volatility of the of the currency rate development is distorting or increasing costs, significantly increasing costs, especially for exporters and and, and importers. And uh, it depends. The development depends not on what will happen in Slovakian economy, but what will happen in broader financial market in the world. The currency rates, if of the of the Visegrad countries, for instance, are going together. If and if Slovakia, because Slovakia is the smallest of this country, if something wrong will, will happen in Poland, then it has immediate effect for the currency rate, not only in the Poland but in Slovakia also. And then predictability of the conditions, business conditions, are, are very, very difficult. Uh, and another important uh, reason for entering, look at, at current, I have explained, the, the most effective reason which is limiting incompetent policy of the current government is that we have entered in uh, ERM2 in November last year, this waiting room for, for Euro, and that FITSO had to take this commitment that they will enter Eurozone. Without doing this limitation, I'm afraid that not only the <coughs> expenditure policy could be very irresponsible and they could increase deficit, but also even the reforms, including tax reform, could be much, easy, much more easily uh, cancelled if there is no limitation, strict fiscal limit connected with the, with the Eurozone. Because what happened, why they took this commitment? After creating FITSO's government, current Slovak government, in, in July of this year, because the composition of this government, because pre-election programs and pr promises of Fitzos government, markets, financial markets became very nervous as Slovak crown go down, very steeply and very quickly go down, which is politically, of course, very unpleasant. And Fitzo became very nervous, came to the National Bank. And the National Bank, they explained to him that market needs strong signal. Only strong signal that policy will be responsible. And only strong signal was to to, to have strong commitment that government has priority to enter Eurozone. After doing this, really, currency rate was stabilized, and now Slovak currency just today, in these days, has historically the strongest position. Also because state budget was, uh, was passed in the government with deficit lower than 3% of GDP, and because it seems to be that government wants to enter Eurozone, which means it is very strong anchor also for doing responsible policy or, or not doing irresponsible policy, better saying, maybe. Chris, do you want to weigh in? Uh, real quick footnote on research and development. There, 
there would be no and there should be no special treatment of R&D under a, a pure Dick Army or uh, Hall-Rabushka flat tax. There's a tight connection between research and innovation and capital investment. Much of, of the innovation in our economy is embodied in companies buying new machines and new equipment and, new, and building new factories. Uh, under the Dick Army flat tax, all such investment would be immediately written off or expensed, which would be a big step forward over the, the current tax treatment. Uh, that, in, in my view, would be the biggest possible spur to, uh, to new innovation, but I don't think we should um, specially subsidize uh, what the government might call research over other types of investment. The, the current R&D tax credit uh, is enormously complicated. It, it is a it's a classic example of a government meddling in the tax code. Uh, in my view, that is is unnecessary uh, uh, and is a, is is a, it, it provides a lot of benefits to companies that would would do the, the type of research anyway without without the credit. Uh, and and again, just from personal experience, I know the, the R and D credit is enormously uh, uh, um, complex, and it, it's one of the many features of the corporate tax code. We ought to simplify. Are there any more questions? Can you just comment on um, Stephen Moore's idea of tax code choice? I think that's probably for Yeah, Steve, Steve Moore uh, had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal a few years back where he, he talked about uh, not an alternative minimum tax like we currently have, but an alternative maximum tax. And his idea was the uh, you would have a, uh, a parallel tax system uh, and the government would uh, – th that had a, uh, a low rate. I, I forget exactly what his uh, rate was. Um, it would have a low rate with no deductions. And you know, people simply had a choice of paying um, under the current complex system with um, graduated rates or his uh, flat flat rate. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I don't really buy it uh, that it's that would be a step forward for major reform because I think you just end up with an even more complex tax system. Uh, TurboTax would incorporate um, even more additional calculations and. And would uh, try, you know, would optimize uh, the tax code for people. Folks who did better on the under the old system simply wouldn't switch to the new system. Um, and so it seems to me you, you'd be left with uh, a simple system beside the current complex system. Well, thank you very much to all of you for coming. Please join us upstairs for lunch. <laughs>